Hello, my name's Luke and welcome to Scapegoat, the podcast where we say who gets the blame and who gets away with murder, sometimes literally. For people, sometimes things just don't go right in life. Your car breaks down before a big job interview, or you crack the screen of your phone just after you've bought it, or as happens to me an awful lot, you try and open a can and you pull the ring out and you just can't get it open. So many people can simply put these experiences down to bad luck and walk away, or in my case, invest in a can opener. However, a minority of people feel victimized and believe that other people should be made pay for these mistakes. In this episode, we'll talk about five different people who tried to sue when things went wrong for them. Are all of these frivolous lawsuits by greedy people who just saw dollar signs? Or is it a case of people whose intentions have been misjudged and they've been falsely accused? So we're going to start off by just going person by person and just talking about why they sued. So the first person we're going to talk about is Richard Overton. Now, in 1991, Richard Overton attempted to sue Anheuser-Busch, the company who makes Budweiser, for $10,000. Now, you might think, why would a person sue Budweiser? Did they get drunk while driving and have a massive car crash? Or did they drink bad Budweiser and got really sick? Or did they blame it for weight gain? Well, none of these reasons, actually. He sued on the grounds of false and misleading advertising. So what Overton said was when he watched Budweiser commercials that normally people drank a Bud and they were transported to a scenic tropical setting with beautiful men and women engaging in like endless fun and all beautiful women would start to love men who were drinking Budweiser. This sounds great. So he got a Budweiser, he started drinking it, this didn't happen. He tried another few, didn't happen, kept on drinking until the next day he woke up with a massive hangover and he claimed this experience had caused him a deep emotional distress with mental injuries and caused him a financial loss. However, unfortunately for Richard, this case was thrown out before trial. Now the next person we're going to speak about is Batman. Batman has long been a staple of popular culture since being created in the 1930s. However, the character's popularity was about its, at its peak in 2008 when the second Christopher Nolan Batman film, The Dark Knight, was released. Critics loved the film, loved Heath Ledger, loved Christian Bale, and it got 95, 96, 97% ratings. However, one man really hated the film. He was the mayor of a city in eastern Turkey, which was also called Batman, and he took exception to the popularity of the comic book hero. He stated he would sue Chris Nolan and Warner Brothers as there was only one Batman in the world and it was a city in Turkey. He said the American producers had used the name of the city without informing him and it had had a negative effect on the population, causing a number of unsolved murders and a high female suicide rate, all because of the psychological impact that the film's success had had on the city. Now, people in the American and British media began to point out that the character Batman had existed since 1938, and the city Batman had only been renamed that from Ilha in 1957, so there was a two decades that the comic book Batman had existed when the city hadn't. However, the lawsuit never appeared in American courts, and many have speculated since the mayor was just using the movie as a publicity stunt, first to promote the city of Batman, and second, to deflect from a lot of negative news which had been coming out of the city due to a stream of honour killings which had been reported. Also important to note that the mayor who tried to sue DC was arrested for a connection to a terrorist group the same year. So let's say this, his reign of terror didn't last that long. 
The next person we're going to speak about is Richard Batista. Now, in 2009, Richard Batista attempted to sue his ex-wife into returning one of his kidneys. Batista was a doctor who married his ex-wife Darnell in 1991, and after a decade of marriage, his wife started to have serious health troubles. Her kidneys were failing and she desperately needed a donation. So she had one kidney donation from a stranger and her body rejected it. She had a second, her body rejected it. Richard desperately looked for another donor, but learned the odds of finding another kidney was 700,000 to one. However, he got himself tested and learned he was a match. So Richard gladly donated his kidney and his wife got better. But after four years of good health, his wife filed for divorce. Richard claimed to be heartbroken after he had learned she was divorcing him and had cheated on him with her physiotherapist. So as the divorce settlement hadn't been finalized, Richard began to think and he began to think, "Mm, I want my kidney back or at least the monetary equivalent, which I deem $1.5 million. Give me my kidney back. Unfortunately for Richard and very fortunately for his wife, His case was thrown out of court as the judge deemed human organs, not commodities which could be bought or sold. So poor old Richard was allowed to only have one kidney and his wife was allowed to stay alive. Imagine that, what a poor man. The next person we're going to talk about is Jonathan Lee Riches. Jonathan Lee Riches has been described as the king of frivolous lawsuits. In the early 2000s, Riches was a man in his early 20s living in Florida. He was an early pioneer of internet phishing. Now this is phishing spelt with a PH. It's mostly done by people who just try and gain your password or other sensitive information so they can exploit you for money. So if you imagine this now that you got an email, go straight to your junk folder and says, this is Amazon or this is your phone company or this is eBay and your account's been hacked. Now to regain access to your account, could you please send us your username and password? Thank you very much. Now, most people here are probably internet savvy enough because you use podcasts to know this is a scam. Don't reply. But if you do reply to a scam, these people will just access your account, learn your information and use it to exploit you. And this is exactly what Riches did. He would use the information to make a false ID and learn where the person banked. So he would go to that bank. So, for instance, Bank of America, and he would say, Hi, I'm David Matthews from Wisconsin. I, this is my uh, ID. Can I please gain uh, $1,000 from my account? And he would just keep doing this, gaining thousands of dollars each time. And this kept working for him. For about two years, he gained a million and a half dollars. But eventually the FBI found him. They impounded all his stuff. And he was sent to prison for 125 months, basically 10 years, slightly over. When he was in prison, he began to think, I want my stuff back. I had all these cool PlayStation games, sneakers and hoodies and even like a Super Bowl ring, I believe he had. So I want this stuff back. So he went to the prison library, learned how to write a lawsuit and sent one to a judge claiming, look, the FBI has taken all my stuff. I want my stuff back. The judge read this and he just rejected the claim saying look you gain this by scamming people you can't get it back all your stuff's being sent to goodwill so you think this would dissuade riches but what it actually taught him was how easy it was to file a lawsuit and he began to realize he could file dozens because lawsuits believe it or not actually aren't that hard to file 
you normally need somewhere between five and twenty-five dollars, and you need to write them on paper. But you don't even need to print these out. Riches began to write lawsuits in like pencil or crayon or whatever he could get his hands on, and as long as it was legible, it was a legal lawsuit. And the lawsuits Riches began to write were quite abstract, and he tried to sue public figures and organizations. So one of his early ones, he tried to sue President George W. Bush, Pope Benedict, Bill Gates, Queen Elizabeth, Free Mile Island, Burt Reynolds, Google, the Salvation Army, Wu-Tang Clan, the Magna Carta, Tsunami Victims, the Kremlin, Nostradamus, the Lincoln Memorial, Nordic Gods, Pizza Hut, the European Union, Methodist Church, Viagra, Ninja Samurai Fighters, and the Planet Pluto for what was described as unknown civil rights violations. So as you can imagine, for someone who's trying to sue memorials, dead historical characters, it was quite quickly thrown out of court. But he just kept trying. So in August 2007, he tried to sue baseball player Barry Bonds for 42 millions for, amongst other things, selling steroids to nuns. He also claimed Barry Bonds had given mustard gas to Saddam Hussein and used to bench press Riches to show off in front of his baseball bark buddies and this caused Riches a lot of distress. He also claimed that Barry Bonds had stolen another baseball player called Hank Aaron's bat which Riches says Bonds used to crack the Liberty Bell which is like a famously cracked bell in Philadelphia and it was the Liberty Bell was also named as a defendant in the suit. Again, quickly thrown out. But you can see the guys kind of coming up with some crazy ideas. And people are starting to respond to them. In September 2007, he sued Elvis Presley for stealing his idea of growing sideburns. He also sued Presley for selling tainted poultry to him. And claimed Presley was in cahoots with Osama Bin Laden. Riches also claimed that rap producer Suge Knight had hung him out of the Encino Lodge balcony with vanilla ice and claimed that Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch harbors Hitler's army. So, you know, there's some pretty abstract ideas here. It's quite funny, but you can imagine it's not a good lawsuit. For instance, another one. In 2009, Riches attempted to intervene as a plaintiff in the Bernie Madoff investigation and he claimed that he met Bernie Madoff on eHarmony in 2001 and had taught Madoff identity theft skills. So he was indeed to blame for Bernie Madoff, not Bernie himself. So if all these lawsuits made Riches a hero to many who found him hilarious and he began to gain a cult status on the internet. Later that year, he began to think, hmm, I might actually be named in the Guinness Book of World Records for the world's most litigious man. So he decided to sue them preemptively to stop him appearing in the Guinness Book of World Records. Now, Guinness released a statement saying uh, we had no interest of ever putting him in the Guinness Book of World Records. But, you know, it started to get him press coverage and people began to think this guy's actually quite funny. So he continued these lawsuits until 2012 when he was released from prison. Then, once he was released from prison, he tried to use his like fame on the internet to become a celebrity, continuing to file lawsuits even in the face of being threatened with contempt of court. He started a Facebook page, but he quickly learned the lesson of the internet that if you're popular today, it doesn't mean that you'll be popular tomorrow. His fame began to wane throughout 2012 until no one really knew him by the end of the year. So in late 2012, Riches travelled to Newtown, Connecticut, two days after Adam Lanza 
had shot 27 people and had attempted to gain access to Adam Lanza's household. So you might remember this. This is the Newtown shooter or Sandy Hook. And he did this just to try and get publicity for his YouTube channel, which I found today and has 86 subscribers. After shooting some weird YouTube videos that he claimed that this was caused by the Illuminati and he had a mask of Adam Lanza, all sorts of weird existential stuff, he began to speak to the press and the neighbours claiming his was Jonathan Lanza, Adam's uncle. So after being spotted at a memorial service, Riches was quickly arrested for breaking the terms of his parole and re-imprisoned. So this guy pretty much used all these lawsuits to try and become famous and you know, it didn't really work out for him. The last person we're going to speak about is Stella Liebeck. In 1992, Stella Liebeck was a 79-year-old woman from Albuquerque, New Mexico, who ordered a cup of coffee from McDonald's drive-thru. When trying to open the cup between her knees, she spilled the coffee on herself and sued McDonald's for $2 million. Now, a lot of people would describe this case as a frivolous lawsuit. Actually, if you Google frivolous lawsuit and look at any of the articles, a lot of them refer to this case, saying, oh, we all know that stupid woman who spilt coffee on herself, sued McDonald's and won. Everybody knows coffee is hot and unpleasant to spill on her lap. She was just clumsy and it's not McDonald's fault. However, in Limex's case, there's a lot of information a lot of people don't know and might change your perception on how you view the case. The coffee Liebeck ordered wasn't just hot. It was served at a temperature of 85 Celsius or 190 Fahrenheit, when the average temperature of a cup of coffee would be 55 Celsius or 130 Fahrenheit. The difference in this heat would be 55 degree coffee would give you light burning. 85 degree coffee, in Liebeck's case, scalded 16% of her skin and gave third degree burns to 6% of it. Liebeck suffered permanent disfiguration after the incident and was partially disabled for two years, with screen grafts being needed to cover her burns. And Liebeck didn't initially sue for $2 million either. She approached McDonald's asking for $20,000, which she said would cover her medical expenses to that date, which had been $10,500, and an additional nine being for loss of income as she couldn't work and neither could her daughter as her daughter was looking after her. McDonald's refused to settle the case, instead offering $800 and refusing to pay any more. Liebeck felt forced into a corner because she couldn't afford her medical bills and sued, claiming gross negligence because the drink was so hot. She later offered before the trial to sell it for $90,000 because people began to project, hey, McDonald's don't need to pay more. But McDonald's rejected this as well, forcing a trial. Just before the trial, independent observers approached and said, Okay, McDonald's, we have calculated this, and really you should be paying $225,000. Just settle this now. But McDonald's refused. So at trial, Liebeck's lawyers proved at the temperature McDonald's served coffee, it would cause third-degree burns if it came in contact with skin within two to seven seconds. So that's dangerously hot. The jurors were asked how much was the blame was McDonald's and how much of the blame was Liebeck's. So... She opened the coffee when she was driving. She opened it between her knees. She was clearly clumsy in doing this. Like, is this really McDonald's fault? So the jury came back with the decision that it was at a ratio of 80% McDonald's fault and 20% Liebeck's fault. So they did recognize Liebeck had done something silly by opening coffee on her lap. 
But they believed, like, if the coffee hadn't been hot, the woman would have been like, oh, I've wrecked my jogging pants and I've got a mild burn, but it isn't bad. They chose to give Liebeck $200,000 compensatory damages, but removed 40000 because they deemed her partially at fault. The jury also awarded $2.7 million in punitive damages to try and get McDonald's to change their practice of selling coffee at a dangerously high temperature. However, the judges after this began to argue and they reduced it to less than half a million dollars. Liebeck eventually settled with McDonald's for a sum about half a million dollars. Like, she wasn't really begging for money. She just wanted her medical bills covered and McDonald's were just slowly annoying her and annoying her and annoying her. Just in this case, if they had settled for 20, the entire thing would have went away. After the lawsuit, McDonald's decided not to change the temperature that their coffee is served at. Instead, writing a warning on the cup. So you have to be aware now, if you go to a McCafe and you spill the coffee on yourself, there is a chance that if it's on your skin for like seven seconds, you could get a third degree burn. Now it's also unfair to just target McDonald's for this practice of selling coffee so hot as other companies that sell coffee sell it at these temperatures. <coughs> Starbucks, <coughs> Starbucks. Liebeck died 10 years after this happened in 2004, but she had had to live with a nurse to care for her 24 hours a day for the rest of her life. She got half a million dollars. If you take like medical expenses and hardship and paying for a nurse, she really didn't actually make that much money. So I would argue that this wasn't really a frivolous lawsuit. So in today's episode, we covered five suits. So the first three that we covered, I would honestly say are probably frivolous. Suing Budweiser, that's pretty frivolous. But believe it or not, Richard Overton, the man who tried to sue, came out many years later and said, oh, I don't even drink. I just sued Budweiser because I believe that their advertising was warping my children's minds and their advertisement dog, Spuds McKenzie, was making my kids want to drink and not realizing alcohol was bad. So I sued them for that reason, which I would say, yeah, likely story. You'd have taken the 10 grand that they had offered. Okay, the next person that we are talking about was the Batman case. Again, I think the mayor was just trying to get some publicity for his town. I think he was trying to deflect because there was a, a lot of articles being written at that time saying like, you know, women's rights in the region were very bad and there was a lot of honor killings and female genital mutilations. So it was something about Batman which was a little bit ridiculous but wasn't that bad. Next one was Dr. Batista, who sued because of his wife's kidney. I'm like, seriously, dude, if you're trying to take your wife's kidney back, she'll die. Do you really think you'll get a million and a half dollars for a kidney? Maybe if it's fresh, but you can't give something and ask for money back. It's like I've lived with people and, you know, I've ended up paying the entire Internet bill. But you can't at the end of the year, having not asked for money, turn to the people when they're leaving and say, here, you owe me $500 for an internet bill. You can't either ask for the money at the time when you're given or you don't. Like, you can't take money from a man who has no pockets because he's that poor. That's a bad move. Moving on to Jonathan Lee Riches. I found the guy kind of funny when I was reading about it. Like, I love the stuff where he's trying to say, like, oh... This person's bat cracked the Liberty Bell and he sold mustard gas to Saddam Hussein. But once I started actually watching his YouTube channel, 
the guy seemed a little bit like sad very very i need attention he had like 86 people there and his videos had a thousand views and i mean hey i would take a thousand views on my youtube channel i'm not lying but go in sandy hook trying to get attention this is a sign of someone who's like you know just gone a little bit past it so while it seemed funny it's kind of a bit tragic and finally i would argue stella liebeck the woman who people would mostly associate with frivolous lawsuits i would say her case is the least frivolous i think if mcdonald's had settled for twenty thousand dollars at the start that would have been a fair settlement and i kind of think that she was just a woman who just had been injured but here just give me my medical bills and i'll be okay in this case you just pay the medical bills I mean, there's some other frivolous lawsuits out there, which, you know, I might look at it another day. For instance, a man in Spain who killed a boy on his bike and tried to sue the parents to replace the spoiler in his car. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. But while something is frivolous and some people are scapegoating, I think you should always try and look at the bigger story. So that's the message I really want to send is if you look at uh, Liebeck's case, I really think that, you know, there's a bigger story. So just always check the details, guys. Okay. So I think that's just a good ending to the episode. I've been Luke. Uh, you can contact me at scapegoatpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me at scapegoatpod on Twitter. If you would like us on iTunes or Apple Music, as I think it's now called, that would be cool. Write us a review. If you don't have time to do that, no sweat. I'm just glad that you listen. Yeah, you know our affiliate programs that I would like you to listen to. Not Another Fake Newscast, Disaster Artist, The True Crime Couple, and The C Word. All great podcasts. Also listen to those conspiracy guys if you get a chance. All great podcasts. Yeah, I mean, that's been pretty much it. Yeah, I'll be getting back to you. I'm just waiting to record the Fatty Arbuckle, but I need to just get my guest to record that. So, apologies to that. We're all good. Okay, I'll talk to you later, guys. Bye-bye. Just as a postscript, if Jonathan Riches ever ends up hearing this and he wants to know how to contact me, they've got a very special address for you. My name is actually G-Dragon and I am part of the Korean pop group Big Bang. So if you would write to uh, Gangnam Goo offices and contact JYP Entertainment, you'll contact me that way. So uh, yeah, that is definitely me and my name is not Luke. My name is G-Dragon. Please don't sue me. Please don't sue me. Bye-bye.